welcome to the Hobby Tassel podcast. I'm Gemma. And I'm Candice. This is the podcast for creatives run by two fellow business owners who discuss the ups and downs of creative entrepreneurship. From dealing with imposter syndrome to celebrating new business milestones, we're here to talk about all of them with you. Hi, welcome to the Hobby to Hustle podcast. My name is Candice. I'm with Gemma today. And today we're going to be doing a quick one. We're going to go over 10 goal ideas for your creative business. Now, we are in December, but this is going to go into your January. So this is something that we wanted to talk about before we thought, uh, sorry, before you thought about next year already. And then we're going to go over our reflections before we head off to the holidays. So at number one, we have make your own website. So I have my own website and I also have Etsy. Overall, Etsy or other Etsy-like platforms, they are technically in control of your shop. And sometimes in rare cases, I'm sure some of you have may heard, Etsy can technically shut down your shop. And Etsy is known to shut down shops with zero appeal chances. Something that happened to me recently was Etsy released this new bot system that scans images and basically flags your image as copyright infringement or stuff like that, etc. Now, the design that I had was designed back in 2019. It's my own creation, but it still got flagged to be manually reviewed. So they took that down. And it's one of my best sellers, my tote bag. And that really upset me. There was nothing I can do. I even emailed and contacted Etsy and there's nothing that they can do about it until they finished reviewing it, essentially. I was still allowed to sell it on my own website, obviously, because I'm in control of my website. But this has happened to many people. And although Etsy is really good platform to start off because it already has their own customer base. You also have to understand Etsy at the end of the day is in control of shutting down your account, therefore shutting down your shop. So Etsy is a good stream of income, but like that common phrase, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Try to have other streams of income as well, which means try to direct more people to your own website. It's also cheaper because Etsy has taken this year alone has already taken over a thousand dollars in fees for me. From me, sorry. For my own website, I pay about 400 Canadian a year. And there's no transaction fees or anything like that. Like 400 flat. Okay. I think my website provider is significantly less than that. Um, I have the advanced plan though. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that's something I wanted to emphasize is that it can be really inexpensive to start a website. I think when lots of people start think about starting their websites, they may think, oh, I need someone to design it for me, or it's going to be very expensive. But you don't have to pay a year in advance. You can pay monthly a lot of the time. I believe with Wix, you can actually set up your website for free and you don't start paying until you hit publish, which means you know you can design it for a couple of months without the financial commitment of paying. So on top of that, it's actually, oh, I can hear a cat jingling. (laughs) Um, On top of that, it's actually not as difficult to set up a website as you may think. Um, So even if you're not tech savvy, 
the website providers walk you through step by step on how to set up your website it really isn't as intimidating or as expensive as people think so I highly recommend it it's great to increase your profits because you know if you're using something like Etsy they take a much bigger cut and also if you set up the SEO which I won't go too much into you can start to get organic inquiries and grow your sales so yeah, highly recommend it. Another thing I wanted to point out is that on Etsy, it is technically a policy to sell handcrafts and Etsy is very strict about it. If you are a calligrapher or you provide services, your own website is better than Etsy because you can actually show your portfolio on your own website. You can still sell retail things like your cards and stuff like that if that's what you are into on Etsy as well as your own website. It's just that you have to, you have to understand Technically, your website is your resume. On Etsy, it's a little bit different. That wouldn't be the case because even though if you can showcase your artwork via your listings or direct traffic towards your own website or your YouTube channel or other social media platforms, Etsy's more for like selling products than it is selling services. The second goal that we have on our list that you may want to add is building a community. Gemma and I have mentioned before in our first episode and on our YouTube channels that we met through a calligraphy community and our first business or at least my first business coach, Dina was my first business coach. She's the one who introduced us and we've had this connection since and it's great. Like without honestly, without Gemma, I would not be where I am today. I can say the same about a lot of people, but like I have weekly meetings with Gemma and you don't have to have weekly meetings if you don't want to, but it works for us. So on top of being introduced to other creatives through creative friends you've already made, a great way to find support is to utilize Facebook groups. So I am part of several Facebook groups and I actually run some Facebook groups as well. They're a great way to connect online if you don't know anyone locally. I also recommend getting in touch with some local creatives. So I reached out to um, a few creatives locally. So I reached out to a couple of other calligraphers, a florist, I think that was it. Um, and I just said, hey, would you be interested in meeting for a cuppa? Um, I'd really like to connect with other creatives and it would be great to meet with you. Um, which was really scary <laughs> to send that message. But they suggest and it was really nice to meet with other people locally. And it definitely alleviates jealousy <laughs> when you know your your local kind of creative community. And it's also just nicer to know the people around you, uh, whether it's locally or as part of your creative community online. I think the last thing I'll add to this is I would have quit. <laughs> I definitely would have quit my business by now if I did not have other business friends. It's just really challenging at times and there's so much self-doubt. And if I didn't have other friends kind of picking me up back up, I, I think I would have packed it in. They definitely keep me going. Um, but they also make it enjoyable as well. They, they're the fun side of my business, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah. I like to see it as sometimes my friends are like 
my supporters and my inspiration. And then sometimes my business friends are also my supporters and inspirations, but they're like my admin team. You know what I mean? Like you you guys work on this together. So I have told people that even if Gemma and I are running two separate businesses, sometimes I feel like she's running from yours truly studio with me as well. Cause like some of the ideas, I like the big ideas as well. She was the one who came up with them and I'm implementing them. Um, and cause she knows like the analytic, the insights essentially that she knows the insights of my business. So I think that that's really important for sure. If I didn't have Gemma, I, I might not be running my business still. That's why I said earlier without Gemma, I wouldn't be here. Most likely it'd be very hard. Cause even if William was like, you got this, I'd be like, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same. (laughs) All right. So on number three, we have vendoring at a craft market. Now, this is more uh, this may sound more catered towards retailers. So I'm a stationary business, if you guys don't know. But this actually can apply to services as well. One thing that I want to say about this is make sure you go to these craft markets before you apply and This is because you want to get in touch, especially if the craft markets that your friends have been at as well, you ask them for their opinion. Like, is it worth it? Right. It's really important for you to scope out where you want to be before you actually apply and spend money to be there. It's kind of like if you wouldn't rent a home without looking at it first, you wouldn't just like sign a piece of paper, go like, I'm going to do it just because the pictures look nice. Or you would actually go there, see it for yourself. Now, vendoring has different levels beginners vendors i would say typically the fees are cheaper but you also have to understand the foot traffic may not be as heavy because these are newer uh events so they might not have the reputation the medium tier are usually where people are at right those are higher foot traffic but again higher prices but you might get a bigger space and then large ones are what we see as like the the expos, the convention centers, and those ones, I would say those are the big ones. And those you get like a massive tent, etc. This is why it's also important for you to know that you should not start off like gung-ho. I'm going to do the most expensive one, the highest foot traffic, because I want, to, you need to actually have the experience before you go or else you will burn out half, probably two hours in. Yeah, I'd recommend, yeah, not even starting with the medium level. Start with the the lower tier one yeah um so yeah. in a uk context that would be things like village halls or local recreation centers that host more casual markets where you don't need expensive stalls because it, it it can be very expensive to start running uh craft stores that's not the right phrase market stores because you need things like banners and tablecloths and sometimes display cases that's not the right time either but you know what i mean (laughs) you want it to look nice and it yeah it can get very expensive so it's better to start small so you can get a feel for it and actually see if you like it as well because it's it can be quite intense it could definitely be quite tiring um you know, it could be profitable. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it as well. So there's definitely benefits. But I wouldn't jump into the medium tier and invest 
lots of money getting set up if you don't know if it's something that you would enjoy. Another big thing about going to the lower tiers or the beginner tiers is that you will definitely make a really good community there. If there's, think about it, if you, there's lower traffic, technically you get a little bit more time to walk around and actually talk to the other vendors. If you're going to the larger ones, you're not going to have that time because you don't want to step away and then you don't have people going like, where did the person go? How am I supposed to buy these things? You're going to want to stay around or stick around to sell your products. You know, there's, you're going to have to talk to customers and stuff like that. And if there's a lot of people, you're not going to be able to step away to actually talk to, even talk to the person next to you. Right. So if you start in the beginning one, beginning tiers, sorry, it's really cool because I made a lot of friends starting off at the smaller markets simply because I actually had the time to make those friends and now there are people that I go to going like hey are you going to this craft market and stuff like that now if you don't have the means go to these craft markets like we said go into these craft markets the vendor the like the booth the displays all the accessories can rack up or you are selling a service you can still go to these craft markets selling a service, except if you don't think it's your cup of tea, consider going to career fairs. Go to your local school, maybe go to the school that you graduated from and go like, do you guys have a running, do you guys have a career fair soon? That's usually at the, I think at the end of the year, like end of the school year, and then present yourself in a way where like, this is an option for you guys when you guys graduate. I think they have career fairs in at least in my local, like in Canada, high school. So those are people who want to know what others do other than the standard going to office. Not that say, not saying that that's boring, but it would be nice to see small businesses because I didn't see any small businesses. And I noticed that in the last few years, more small businesses have actually participated in these career fairs. I don't know how expensive it can be, but I would imagine it's a little bit cheaper than if you were to do a craft market. Yeah, so there's lots of ways to get started. It doesn't have to be something intimidating. (laughs) Um, Yeah, start small and work your way up, I would say. So now on to number four. We talked about this two weeks ago, which is starting a mailing list. Now, if you haven't listened to the podcast yet, we highly recommend it. We had guests Laura and Nikki from Thrive Business Academy. Now, I'm not... Sorry. I wasn't a email list fan. You guys can listen to how they converted me. But Gemma is a hard, firm believer of email listings, and she knows how successful it can be. So Gemma, why did you add email listing as a goal? So the reason why I added this to the list of goal ideas is because I think a lot of creatives spent loads of time on social media they fret over you know creating reels and yeah social media creation takes so much time when actually email marketing takes much less time and it's more effective you have better conversion rates more people see your emails and see your social media posts and you own (laughs) your mailing list You know, if Instagram decides to randomly shut your account or it gets hacked, I've seen several occasions where other artists' accounts have been shut down, sorry, hacked randomly 
and are starting completely afresh. If you have a mailing list, you are in control of that. So it is so valuable. If I had to push one out of this goals list, I would say start a mailing list. I I honestly highly recommend listening to the previous podcast. It you'll notice that I didn't talk for the large chunk of the beginning of the podcast. Like I don't even think I said a word until 30 minutes in or 20 minutes in. <laughs> um, but that's because I was absorbing all the information that um, the other three were providing me. And it really made me think, you know what? I don't have to be working so hard on my social media when I can just, you know, work on building my two characters through email listing. And owning the email listing is also one of the biggest reasons why I'm an advocate for it now. And it doesn't have to be super salesy. Um, That was something we talked about in the last podcast episode is that it can be personal. Don't think, oh, I have to, you know, awkwardly sell my goods or services. It doesn't have to be, yeah, it doesn't have to be salesy. You can add your personality. For example, so I send out two emails a week, one to people learning calligraphy, one to people who are running art businesses. So in my art business one, I get particularly personal because I I think other artists are interested to know how things are going for me behind the scenes, because I would be interested in hearing that from other artists. So I get really personal a lot of the time about how I'm feeling. For example, one email I think a few weeks ago it was called I'm an idiot <laughs> in the subject because I made a really stupid mistake and yeah it's quite I find it quite fun to write your emails when they're personal compared to the more structured ones so the next one on the list we have at number five is making a product or service that you're happy happy like more than happy with and then build on top of that so for me personally I run a stationary business. Now, on a broader aspect, I can say I started off as a stationary business and I started off by creating random things that were cute, that were my theme. But then I created Kit and Dino, which are my babies now, and they are what I'm very satisfied with. So I'm going to build on that. So now I've actually changed my business from, not really, um, but kind of, I've changed my business description I would say to from yours truly studio is kit and dino stationery and merchandise yeah um that's made me think as well that I don't know if it's shiny object syndrome or artists are stressed if they don't do everything they're worried about missing out so yeah it probably comes from two different places that you might try yeah I think people might get excited to try different things but then people might also be scared of missing out on money essentially if they don't do loads of things but the problem of trying to do everything is that you're spread too thin your marketing is confusing and to be frank your stuff just isn't going to be as good as if you were to stick with one thing and polish it and make it better so yeah my workshops now I've done more workshops than I can actually count now I don't know how many I've done but I've really perfected them 
perfecta sounds arrogant, but I'm very comfortable with workshops. I know the content inside and out. I know how to answer questions. I'm really happy with how my workbook looks. I, that is my kind of, the, the service that I'm super happy with. And then I've built stuff on top of that. Um, and I think also don't think, oh, okay, I'll do teaching as my service because that's too broad. You know, if you're getting started, teaching is too broad. You either need to focus on creating workbooks, create teaching workshops or, you know, running a passive course. You need to focus on one thing. You can't do all of it. <laughs> it's just going to get too confusing. Otherwise, you can build up. And actually, I have a membership called the Class of Course Method that walks you through how to build up things if you're in the teaching niche. But I don't give everyone everything all, all in one go to just get on with it. Like, I like people to build stuff up. And I recommend you do the same. Find something that you're really happy with and build on that. Yeah, until you feel like you're a professional, and I, I don't mean like uh, third-party recognized socially recognized professional I, f I mean when you feel like you've aced it then expand on it but if you're trying to figure out what you want to ace on that's fine i'm saying we're not saying don't try new things we're saying if you feel happy with one thing you don't need to immediately think of a completely new idea to work on you can also just you know technically elaborate or expand on what you currently have already. So the next one we have on the list as number six is focus on searchable content. Now Gemma is better at explaining this than I am. So Gemma, do you want to tell me what this is? Yeah. So searchable content are things like YouTube, podcasts, Pinterest, um, blogs. So it's basically creating content that has a longer lifetime value I guess because when you're creating social media posts they disappear within a few hours unless people were to scroll back on your Instagram feed for example if you create searchable content not only is your uh not only is your content available for longer but it also means that people are more likely to find you it grows your business because you are more easily able to be found so don't try to do everything. <laughs> Don't do YouTube videos, podcasts, blogs, and Pinterest all in one go. Just pick one thing, give it a go, see how it goes. I think blogging is a great place to get started. I think it has the lowest kind of barrier to entry. Um, Pinterest is also quite straightforward. Candice is shaking her head at her cat. What's going on? <laughs> Oh, she's just giving me a look of like, I'm about to jump on you. And I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Telling cats no doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, so yeah, that's, those are a few examples of searchable content. And yeah, I think that sums it up. Give one of them a go and see your business grow. So I completely agree with Gemma when she said, don't work on all platforms at once. Now, what we mean by that is when you're starting off, don't try to like do the opposite of putting your eggs in one basket and putting your eggs in all the baskets, because again, you, <laughs> you will run yourself like 
down to the bone and you'll get really sick. So what we mean by that is try to build something first, have a platform there, and then that platform should do its own thing. Then you can move on to the next one and then keep like, you know, moving on like that. What I do is I built my Etsy. I will upload stickers on there, but I've kind of just let Etsy run on its own. I literally will just complete orders and I'm not really maintaining my Etsy anymore. I do need to update like the announcements and stuff like that or FAQs if there are any updates required. But Etsy is literally running on its own. Without working on that kind of foundation, I wouldn't be able to focus on my YouTube or this big project that I have coming up that I might launch mid-January of next year because I would need to worry about my Etsy or I would need to worry about my Pinterest and stuff like that. You can't work on 10 big projects at once you will suffer like that's just (laughs) yeah and I've made that mistake before and I've seen little progress because it's so scattered um but yeah anyways move on moving on to number seven which is improving your photos I'm sure a lot of you have heard make sure you take nice photos make sure your photos look great make sure your you know photos what we me by putting this as a goal is to try to find your own theme. Gemma actually has a really good tactic that she does. Um, and I remember when I chatted with her about this before, I was like, oh, right. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a really good way of doing it. I don't usually do it that way, but I'm going to start doing it that way. So Gemma, how do you take your photos? So I create a bunch of calligraphy when I'm in the zone and actually feeling creative. And then I schedule a time once I've got a bunch of calligraphy done to take photos. So I make sure that all my photos are taken at the same time because even if you take your photos at the same time of day in the same exact place, on two different days, the lighting could look different. So I try to batch as many of my photos together to try get consistent lighting. And I think that has worked a lot for my photos. Um, I also use a white background and I simply sprinkle some confetti around my words. And I think it looks really nice. It's really simple. It's a cost-effective way of adding props. And yeah, that's worked for me. And something... I also started to do because I noticed that my go-to color <laughs> was pink so I would do black calligraphy and then I would sprinkle in bits of pink so I actually changed my entire brand to be pink <laughs> because it just made sense if I had a lot of calligraphy that was pink to then change my branding to pink so it all looks very cohesive. Now you don't have to change your entire brand to fit your photos but just think of some elements in your photos or in your branding that ties them together so it feels cohesive yeah consistency yeah Mm. so how i know a lot of you who've browsed through etsy like planner stickers and stuff like that you'll notice that majority of the planner stickers from the bigger sorry from the bigger small business yeah bigger small businesses their listing photos are digital so that's uh something that i didn't do before i used to do uh, live photos. 
I don't know if they're called live photos because live photos with iPhones technically means the photos move, but that's not what I mean. What I mean by like in person like, photos. Yeah, sure. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in person photos. <laughs> I used to take those. It's very difficult to have it consistent. So, like what Gemma said, even if I take it at 10 a.m. every single day on different days. The lighting will be different. So that's why I decided to change it to digital because it is just more consistent doing that. So that's something that you guys can consider as well for those stationers out there You and you want to do listing products. Having it digital is okay. And if you want it as a in-person photo, maybe your thumbnail photo can be digital and then show the in-person photos after that just so your shop can be a little bit more consistent. Another way that you can do that is cheap is just print a solid color on your um, paper, like a whole sheet of solid color or like marble effects or stuff like that. It's super cheap way for you to add a little bit more accents to your photos. If you're doing like a die cut sticker or a keychain or washi tapes, just having multiple colors or like um, having two sheets of full colors and then, you know, have a diagonal with your washi tape in the middle is quite nice. Can we jump back quickly? Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned about how you do pictures digitally on Etsy without getting too technical. What does that mean? Digital in what sense? So what I do is I have a PNG of my sticker background, like the little, the, the backing sheet itself. And then I have a PNG of my actual sticker design. I put those two together. It's kind of like Canva. I don't know yeah. how to use Canva, um, <laughs> but my assistant does. And she yeah. has made my listing images because I don't do them anymore. I'm, I, I I will have the stickers, but I just don't upload them because I don't have time to put it together. So on Adobe Illustrator, what I do is I make the stick because I need to put this file into Cricut anyways, or my silhouette. All I do is I duplicate it, add a bit of a drop shadow, and then that's what it is. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, oh, there was something else. Oh, yes. So one extra thing I want to mention in regards to photos, obviously we've mentioned different background ideas. But just make it consistent, whatever you do. <laughs> um, I know of artists that have lots of photos, but they all have a different background and they're all different lighting. And it it's one thing when it's on your Instagram feed, but if that's on a website, it can look a bit messy. I don't think it looks as professional if you don't have consistency in your photos is what I'm trying to say. So try create some consistency in your photos next year and that will naturally improve it just the consistency yeah that's one of the back to it's our last point on this and then we'll move on to the next goal this also ties into why it's important for you to or another perk of having your own website so you can put your photos in different areas whereas etsy forces you to put them all in the same area so if it's inconsistent it's very evident what which is why i moved to digital like you really can't you can't change it if you have a couple of photos like one page is darker lighting that's fine but if you did that on etsy that's not fine <laughs> it's very <laughs> evident you'll have a gray photo you have a white photo and stuff like that so that's uh something else that's more of a perk if you have your own website all right so number eight 
is the goal that I would say is my number one priority. And it's maintaining a healthy work-life balance, which both Gemma and I will have to admit we don't. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have one. We don't have lives. (laughs) It's, It's hard. It, I was just the, just yesterday, I decided to work on my ideal 2023 monthly schedule. Like I wrote a list of the things that I would like to get done in a month and I wrote the time it should take me to do it. And so if I were to work a 40 hour week in a month, that's 160 hours, right? Uh, Those are working hours. The meaning I take weekends off and then I hid the actual total under a piece of washi tape typed in my time so I'm not influenced by it. When I took off that piece of tape, it's it's not initially it doesn't sound too bad. It said that in order to complete what I wanted to complete by standard, meaning no new things popped up, nothing like, you know, no new can't work on new projects or stuff like that. 183 hours. That would mean I would need to work 9.2 hours a day. Uh, so this doesn't include lunch or breakfast or dinner. <laughs> Yeah, so that made me recognize, wow, that is not a healthy work-life balance. There there needs to be some change, which is, again, why you can't work on all those platforms at once. So that's just something I'm going to need to cut back on, discuss with William. Like, hey, what do you think? Do you think I'm overworking? Is this realistic? And <laughs> well, blah, blah, blah. I, I I was thinking I didn't want to interrupt you. I was like, let me get my hands on it. Because I, <laughs> I, I bet there's stuff on there that I <laughs> would be like, no, you, you do don't Candace, need to do that. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there it's is. It's so 100%. easy though when you're running your business to think it's essential. It has to be done. But actually it's not essential. It's different if someone's ordered something and paid you and are expecting it in a timely manner. The rest of the stuff is probably flexible I think we put a lot on ourselves to do far more than we necessarily have to um but maintaining a healthy work-life balance is really tough when you're running your own business because not only do you generally enjoy working like a lot of the times there's parts of your business that you enjoy and if you don't (laughs) then something needs re-evaluating But when you're working from perhaps a place of fear, so I left my full-time job last year and I was definitely kind of working from a place of fear for a little while because it's so scary not having that consistent income, which made my work-life balance completely rubbish because I was working so many hours thinking I need to get on top of it when actually if I'd have worked a lower amount of hours I probably would have been more effective and gotten the better stuff done in my business oh 100% it's kind of like if you force yourself to bur- if you force yourself to work to the point where you burned out and you continue trying to produce work it's not going to be your 100% you will feel like you're giving 150% but then when you look back at it after you've rested you'll be like this is a 60% quality work because when you're burnt out you're at like max 60 70% so it's 
really crucial for people to evaluate, you know, where they're standing in their life. Like, for example, Gemma just said it was because she left her job. And so she feels like she needs to be, you know, get things going in order to, well, want finances, right? So that's something that you need to work on and worry about when you first start your business. So it's inevitable. But if you regularly evaluate your schedule, I think it's easier for you to like understand, like, because you really look at it going like, ooh, okay. I'm not spending enough time with friends and family or I'm not spending enough time like myself. Yeah. And it could be simple habits as well. And I'm definitely not practicing what I preach here. (laughs) But for example, I have my mobile phone charging next to me in bed. Like it's on the bedside table. It's not actually in bed with me. I don't have that much of an attachment issue with my phone. But um, when I, before I go to bed, I am on my phone often doing work stuff and then first thing I do when I wake up is check work stuff. So if I touch my phone out of the way and instead, you know, maybe I place a book where my phone is to try and encourage me to decompress because I really like reading and I hardly do it but when I get into a good habit of reading before bed, it becomes routine. And that's so much better than working on my phone till like 10, 11 p.m. So it doesn't mean that you have to become a super... uh, My brain is like productive or chill. (laughs) Um, you, You don't have to become amazing, but just just try to improve it, you know, step by step, make small changes to help you feel better. Yes, we mentioned this in our second episode, um, dealing with negativity. And it's finding your limit and play within it, literally. Like if if your limit is, you know, X, Y, Z, if you can work more and you're like healthy, like your doctor, not you saying I'm healthy when you're not. I mean, like if your doctor can look at you and go like, no, you're healthy then that, that's what I mean by that's your limit, right? Um, not you trying to persuade other people you're healthy. If other people can see you are, you're good, then then yes, you can you work more. But if you, or like look at your phone more and stuff like that, it's not really recommended that you look at your phone right before you go to sleep and doing work stuff. But like, you know, like Gemma said, like it's just work-life balance. If you're okay with it and you're healthy, that's all, that's... That's the most important thing. Yeah, and I guess I've thought of an analogy when it comes to work-life balance. Um, Probably inspired by Ellen, because she mentioned plates, but you know when you eat a meal and you reach the point in your meal where you're like, oh, I'm comfortable now, I feel satisfied, but then you still have stuff that's on your plate and you're like, oh, well, I kind of enjoyed that and there's stuff left. I'll I'll just eat a few more bites and the more you're eating like those few more bites start to make you uncomfortable and they start to yeah have a negative impact when you could have left it at a satisfied level and I notice that when I'm working I reach a point where I think oh I wish I could turn off now but I'm like oh there's you know a couple of hours left of the day I'll push myself 
to complete those hours of the day when actually if I'd taken an afternoon off and just chilled out, it would have been so much better for me. Yeah. I did that the other day too. I checked out at at two o'clock. I started work at eight or no, I started work at nine and I was like, oh, I definitely want to work till five. But then I was so productive at two o'clock. I was like, I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to check out now. Yeah. Um, but yeah. All right. So moving on to, so we got two more moving on to number nine, regularly set time aside to review your finances. Now this is so crucial as an ex financial advisor, please do this. <laughs> um, because in order for you to really fully understand your bank account, you need to like sit down and look at it. This goes to as a security thing, right? Because if you, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I don't look at my bank statements. I should be, right? And if there are one security, if someone really did have a hold of your account or access to your account, majority of the times nowadays, they don't take out money or like, you know, charge your card a large amount right from the get-go because they will test you. They will be like, I'm going to spend 10 bucks and see if this person noticed it. It's very common. It's I hadn't even thought of the security side of it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 disgusting that these things exist, but it happens. So they'll first charge you $10 once a month and then $10 every week. And then bam, all of a sudden you'll have like a thousand dollar charge. It's happened so many times. It's so unfortunate. But review your finances personal and work because it's it's all the same it's all you know you you have credit cards for it you'll have a bank account for it it's a security thing another thing is you can see your business spending spikes what are the high times right like if you if you know for example christmas is happening it's around the corner if you know you need to buy things for it then every single year don't spend all your money in the summer of investing in new things when you know you're going to need supplies for December or sorry, you're going to need to spend money in October and November for December. If you don't have that, you know, capital to protect you on that, that's something you need to reconsider. And also reviewing finances is a good habit for you anyways, for budgeting your life, like period. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's my two cents on setting time. So I, at the end of every month, I will review my finances for tax reasons as well as, you know, security reasons and just cash flow on the first of every, sorry, at the first of every month. Mm, I think it's really important to understand whether you're profitable or not as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, if you see sales and you're like, oh, I've made 1500 pounds, you're like, wow, this is amazing. But if you've spent 600 pounds on costs, <laughs> you're suddenly not as profitable as you thought you were. So it's great for keeping an eye on profitability. And if something isn't as profitable as you thought, and you know that because you've reviewed your finances, you can, you know, bump up the price, like bump up the ticket price or look at ways to bring down your costs um, to make it more profitable or it may just be that that offer isn't as good as you thought and you might try something else so it's great for making business decisions as well yeah it's important for you to see you know what really works what doesn't work it, 
numbers can show you a lot. If you don't review your finances on, if you don't set time aside to review your finances on a regular basis, a couple months or even a year in, you might go like, oh, so yeah. On to the, sorry, do you have any more comments before we move on to the last one? All right. So last but not least, no spend. So everyone has a little bit of a different definition of no spend. Gemma, do you want to tell people what your definition of no spend is? Yeah. So I know lots of you are guilty of this <laughs> and that is thinking you need to buy certain things to try new niches. So for example, when I started calligraphy and I was thinking about ways to monetize it, I thought, oh, I need a Cricut machine. And I was seeing them promoted everywhere. Like it was shoved in my face. Like you need a Cricut machine. It's the, the best thing for artists. But I didn't want to do a product-based niche. <laughs> so if I would have been, um, if I'd have jumped the gun and bought a machine, it would have been such a waste of money for me. It's, so this goal is really about being considerate about what you're purchasing for your business. And it's not just physical hardware. It can be software. It could be courses. Because I know a lot of people in the art industry love buying courses as well. But if you know that you want to start a business and you're buying several courses, which cost like a couple of hundred pounds each, maybe more, you're putting yourself more and more into the red before you've even got started. So my, so the reason why I put this on the list is to really, I guess, hold you accountable to yourself. Try to cut back on spending that's unnecessary. And, you know, then you have more income to spend on stuff you actually do want to invest in. And also have a think about why it is your spending. Do you feel like you have to buy something because you're seeing it everywhere <laughs> and essentially you've been effectively marketed towards? Are you buying something because you feel that it will shortcut you to making money? Are you buying something because you don't feel ready, you feel like an imposter and you feel like buying this thing will help you? Um, there's lots of reasons for spending, but don't let your spending help you procrastinate because I think sometimes we buy stuff to delay doing something uncomfortable as well this by the way this also applies to your personal life because you know your business is technically the income of your personal life if you have a personal matter that requires a big chunk of money then consider not investing in your business yet deal with your personal life first and then think back on like, okay, what's the game plan for growing my business, but take care of the bigger thing at home first. So that's what we have. I'm going to quickly list out the things that we mentioned and that way you can kind of know what we talked about. So for us, our 10 business goal ideas, sorry, our 10 goal ideas for creative businesses is one, make your own website, not just on Etsy. We're talking about Squarespace, Shopify, Wix, and stuff like that. Number two, building a community of supporters, meeting new business owners, 
talking to other business owners, etc. Three, vendoring at a craft market or a career fair, getting yourself out there as a person, not just digitally. Four, starting a mailing list. So really build your email marketing game. Number five, creating a product or service that you are more than happy with and build upon it. So basically expanding on growing your baby. (laughs) Number six, focus on searchable content. Think of those long forms of content, not just like one or two pictures on Instagram, things like YouTube, blogs, and stuff like that. Number seven, improving your photos. Again, we mentioned some tips of batch working and stuff like that to ensure that there is is consistency, which is very hard to manage on Etsy sometimes. Number eight, maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Everyone's healthy work-life balance is defined differently. Just make sure you're not you know, sending yourself to the hospital or the doctor's office and going like, I, you know, I'm healthy, but you're not actually, um, <laughs> cause you're tired. Number nine, regularly set time aside to review your finances. This is again for security purposes, as well as it's just smarter for you for budgeting and ensuring that you're not spending more than you are earning. And last but not least, no spend. There needs to be a period of time where you're not spending a, a lot of money or even just like smaller increments because that racks up right if you're every single day spending money on coffee itself that's already like a hundred dollars in a month or so so those are the 10 goal ideas that we have on our list you may consider adding onto your list as well so that sums up our 10 business goal ideas definitely give one of them a go at least (laughs) stretch yourself be out of your comfort zone a little that's where growth happens and yeah in our next episode we'll chat to you about our personal business goals and what we want to do with 2023 and yeah we'll go more in depth and we'll also go into depth about our reflection on the year so you can see how we've grown and how our goals went for this year (laughs) so stay tuned and yeah check in on the next episode and bye for now bye